kapow, pop, in honor of nobody, what's an on-screen punch that looks like it hurt the most? I'm Katie Rich, and apparently um, uh, Martin Sheen really fucked his hand up when he was punching the mirror in that hotel room scene in Apocalypse Now, and masculinity in the 70s was tough, man. I'm Matt Patches, and I just have this clear memory of Hermione punching Draco in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. He just, she just wallops him with her, like, big skinny arm, and he falls down. That, that looked tough. Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, and in Friday the 13th, Jason takes Manhattan on a boat just off Manhattan, in which he spends most of the movie, if I remember correctly. He does punch a man's head clean off into the, the river. <laughs> Uh, I'm David Earl. Katie, for a second, I thought you said Martin Short in Apocalypse Now. I typed Mart Michael Sheen by accident, so I was all over the place. The, the either way, the imagination Martin Short reels. Clifford. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, not to get into the whole uh, muddying of the waters between television and movies, but just because I was rewatching it on Showtime over the weekend, first thing that comes to mind is definitely Twin Peaks: The Return. The kid with the green glove who uh, punches, if it's not Steve, I can't remember if it's Stephen Dorff or Stephen Dorff lookalike. Um, Stephen Dorff, Twin Peaks. Anything? You're Googling Anything? it right now He's during Googling the Googling in round. the midst of his brief no, lightning round Dorf. answer. They, whoever plays that guy in the, in the Bang Bang uh, looks just like Stephen Dorff. But uh, anyway, punches him real hard. Got a little glove. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you, it's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 344. It is pandemic 56. It is the week of Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. That's the day that in 1841, a girl in Poe's Murders in the Room Morgue was published. Dark times. Apparently. Apparently, it's the first detective story, but that also feels like really white history to me. So I'm going to... The first gonna... detective story. Wasn't the huh. first detective story Poe's own search for Emily? <laughs> <laughs> A classic movie quote that we all enjoy. Indeed. Everybody I, remembers. I From the if Raven. You've, as if you've been listening know. to this... Po- yeah, like that... The quotes come back on this podcast plenty. We're keeping the <laughs> we're keeping the torch aflame. Emily. Uh, I didn't check beforehand to see if we have reviews. So, David, do we have reviews? We have review in the singular. I'll take it. That's enough not to talk about Star Wars mobile games. Yep. It it is enough, if only just. And it comes from E.T. Jaws B2TF. He says, absolutely great podcast. You guys are the best. One of the best things in my quarantine. I wish you all the best, always. And thank you for being a light through this very tough year. Well, thank you, E.T. Jaws B2TF. TF for that short but sweet review. Very helpful. As always, if you out there listening would like to be helpful yourself, go on iTunes to Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it on the show in real time. No matter what you say, don't use that against us. But many no, they definitely here. They definitely will. Uh, Patches wanted to pick one that's for the fans and not the critics, so he uh, asked me to watch an episode of The Nevers, <laughs> which uh, the critics have been uh, lukewarm on. Yeah. Um, it is a big, splashy HBO series that Joss Whedon was involved in until he was not, although I believe he's still credited on it, right? He oh, I mean, indeed. he directed the pilot and okay. created the show, and yeah. I have and it's been very a- him. It's very yeah, no, Whedon-esque. I- I am not a big Whedon person, but I certainly knew enough to know that that pilot, which is the one episode that I've watched, was very Whedon-esque. Uh, there's a lot going on in that one pilot. Lot, big show. Big plot. Yeah, it feels like three episodes. It has OC syndrome. They're they're going through a lot in a very short time. <laughs> I definitely thought of the I, OC I will say frequently. the OC is not a show that came to mind while I was watching this episode, <laughs> but sure. Not even with a, ooh, what you say, music cue. <laughs> no, that one part. No, you're right. I forgot about that one part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that redheaded woman opens her throat and calms <laughs> yeah. everyone by singing that. <laughs> I would actually watch this. Oh, man, wait. Good. We have to talk about that woman on this, on this episode. Um, yeah, I th- I found the show kind of overall like not for me. Like it was kind of like too busy and too much being thrown at the wall and not enough that I was like really diving into. And I don't know how much the like Whedon legacy is still alive to the point that people want to tune into this kind of thing. But Patches, it seems like you what like is it for this kind thing. of thing. 
Oh, well. So like, it's uh, okay. I haven't seen it. Here we go. This Dave is what the synop- show is. Can write the, read the synopsis because he hasn't. Seen There's it. been some sort of mysterious event that has there given women is. and some men powers in Victorian England, and some person who is uh, presumably our lead collects our other leads for some sort Amalia. of esque Xavier uh, school for the gifted. I do not know what her purpose is, but I do know that there is a group that's out to eradicate them. The wow. X-Men of it yeah. all is overwhelming. It's like, it's, it's like <laughs> really blatant. And Josh Whedon obviously wrote on X-Men for a, a while, and I think he just wanted his shot at doing this as a Yeah, show. I mean, he's not trying to pretend it's not X-Men, right? Like, it's got, like, the two leaders and, like, all the, like, young kids who are being no, gathered like in No, every there. X-Men role is, is filled, complete with they have a machine that helps them find other touched uh, it's called Cerebra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's for ladies now. Uh, uh, so wait, Katie, this show, I mean, the first episode, as you said, is, is a lot. Amalia, our, our lead, is searching for other touched women. Um, that sounds wrong. I don't really like saying that. Um, she is standing up to the British Empire, which doesn't... Uh, Wait, is, she is? Fears these women. Fears these women and how... Not they like the Empire, just like a bunch of like men in power. I see them as the British Empire. What do you think the Empire is? I guess I just was... You made me think of like like colonial like outposts in India or something. It's just oh, not okay. Well, I mean, they are... The, I mean, when I think of the entity, they are the British Empire. They are the crown. Sure. Um, White men in a shadowy room. But there are also um, masked men who are trying to kill... Uh, the touched, and there are also other superpowered. Uh, there's other superpowered women, and and well, just like a an evil group. Kind of the Magneto stand-in here is Malady. Um, she's part Joker, part Magneto, superpowered, and just trying to kill people and, and spread chaos. So there's like three factions of bad people, and Amalia and her team are I don't know, just caught in the middle of it. I don't really. What there's this want? guy who I'm throws sex parties. Well, Who's, it's not he made in? clear in the first episode. And from the reviews that I've read for the TV critics who have seen the first four episodes, it remains unclear even then. Say, I have seen four uh, episodes and I'm asking this question to you so, guys who only watch the pilot. So that's not a good Yeah. Thing. And and just, uh, you know, people out there keeping score, the way that the series is going to unfurl because of COVID is that they're premiering the first six episodes of the first season yep. now consecutively in consecutive weeks. And then the final four episodes uh, are going to premiere at some to-be-determined later date, which feels Ooh, like a guaranteed recipe to minimize interest at all costs. Yeah, but, that's bad. Uh, this Wait, does why? Not feel... Why? It seems because... like actually a chance to kind of reboot interest and try and get past this whole for a four-episode mid-season run. I mean, listen, Stranger Things have happened, and who knows? Yeah, Stranger uh, Things one, two, Stranger Things one, three. two, three, and four. <laughs> Um, are we on four? Are we waiting no, for five? No, we've been waiting, waiting for, for four, four for like two, uh, o- two, two hours, I mean, two years. Two years. Not, not two hours two now. Hours. <laughs> I need two more Stranger hours. Things right now. It's been two hours. <laughs> Few things have been more disembodied from my own experience than me using the royal we to talk about us A waiting for Stranger Things. A real Demogorgon over here. God. Um, the, uh, anyway, the... It just does not seem like a show. It wouldn't seem from the outside anyway, and certainly not from watching the first episode. Like, this is something that's going to catch on. It reeks of a one and done sort of thing for me. But then I get the press release today that says that it was the most watched premiere of an HBO show ever on HBO Max or whatever the fuck. So, uh, who knows? Obviously, it would have a different creative team going into a potential second season. Joss Whedon's not going to be involved. Um, and maybe they could course correct. Again, I've only seen one episode. Maybe they get substantially better from here, but there's really, it's I mean, so, like, the first episode was, and Patches, you know, you can carry this from here and talk to about the other three that you've seen, but they feel, like, so much like leftovers of other better, more original shows that are sort of cobbled together in this very weedness form. Um, and then the, the first episode ends with, I don't know if a twist is how I would describe it, but a reveal. We shouldn't talk that, about that. The, the reveal oh my is God. wacky, I guess so. and and actually has no further context. Um, I'm four episodes in, and we're, we haven't unpacked that. Wait, but I it's mean, also that, the premise of like, the show. Like, is right. that a reveal? Well, no, but it does it's feel a, like the kind of it it's feels a like, shocking moment at the end of the episode. I will say, I would I would feel comfortable talking about it here. I also think at the same time that it's the kind of thing that is foundational to the mythology, whatever that might be or turn into of the show and that they're going to continue unpacking it for as long as the show is on the air. Sort of like how the first episode of Game of Thrones opened with the White Walkers and that and the smoke the monster and lost story or the, sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah. So, but I don't know if it's worth getting into, but it is one of, it's like one of nine mysteries that don't really feel like they're serving each other in the <laughs> pilot and don't make sense. And I don't think it helps that the villains, uh, maladies, big speech on stage um, in this sort of uh, dark night, there has to be a better precedent for that. Uh, this is a f- show, but it's really happening um, sort of scene. Uh, the fact that her rambling monologue makes absolutely no sense. Oh, it's awful. It goes on for not helpful ever. On and you're like, the, I don't know who the actress is, and like, I'm sure she will do interesting things, but it's so like jokery, like cackling. I'm crazy with like no basis in the character, and you've already been struggling to meet so many of these other characters who are like semi interesting and mostly not interesting. And throwing her into the mix, I was just like, there are definitely crawling out of my skin to get too out of there. many characters in the show. There's a lot of. Women who live at the orphanage. It's not a school in this show. It's an orphanage. And they all have different powers and they all have different things going on. And I don't think, like, they they track the geography of that very well. Like, who are the main people? Let's pick a few of these uh, women. Yeah, I mean, there's these two women who we meet in the beginning who are, uh, oh, my God. One of them is named Mrs. True and one of them is named... Perseverance? Tuppence no. What's Middleton. Penance. No. Penance. 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 Um, all named Tuppence Middleton. They're all like, named Tuppence. I like them okay. They feel kind of like broadly sketched where like one of them is the optimist and one of them is the realist. But you get the sense that like if you had a show about the two of them and their like efforts to like save people that there could be something good there. There's also Olivia Williams. I got the right Olivia, right? Who's in a wheelchair? And no, then... it's Olivia Coleman. No, I know. No, it's, it's Olivia Coleman. Don't the father it's me. It's Coleman. <laughs> Um, and then who's the guy I was asking earlier who's like he has like sex parties and he walks around in like elaborately patterned James pants. James Norton. He was yeah. on Mr. Uh... Image and Poots. I like him. Whatever. Oh, I don't really? know what he's I don't know what role he plays in the story, but he's interesting. I, I don't know. He like had a personality. He's just entangled with everybody too. There's yeah, there's just so That's many different answer. types of people what, going what in. But I will say this. Does the does the large tattoo on his back it looks like a it looks like a white walker design of some kind? Does that have relevance in the four episodes you've seen? I I don't recall. Like he is really just like he pops up backstage at the show, or he pops up. Hey, yeah. we need answers about something again. Like all the elements are really disparate. But I will say this about the show: we've watched four episodes and been engaged by four episodes because I think it goes down pretty easy, and the production value is high. I am not yes. Katie like you. I'm I'm actually not a big Joss Whedon person. I I've watched some Buffy, no Angel. I've watched Firefly, no Dollhouse. Um, and read his comic books, and I and people have told me that they feel like this is really derivative of his previous work. That like Malady mm. is a one for one with a Buffy villain, and for, sure, but that's that stuff is not registering for me, and that is not getting on in the way of of my enjoyment of the show. Um, I th- I find the adventures the show feels like hey problem of the week like let's go out on a team and and fight the bad guy and there might be well, that an overarching sounds okay plot. given how crazy the episode like a uh, monster of the week thinks it's like a good format for this elaborate world yeah it's kind of like lower stakes than prestige television normally is and in this day and age i kind of welcome can, that i kind of welcome like characters out? with zippy dialogue and and fighting thing of the week can we zoom out a little bit and just look at HBO's struggles with launching the next great fantasy series? Um, it feels like once or twice a year now, HBO is is launching these lavish. What, you, uh, what else do you think about? Like Lovecraft Count? Lovecraft Country definitely came to mind. What that feel like they have the germ of a good idea, and in the case of Lovecraft Country, maybe a little bit more, but don't have the the core that they need. They don't have the, the structure that they need to prove continually rewarding um and i know that something like the last of us is going to be a safer bet just because that story has so much you know closed integrity to it um but these original shows that they're trying or the adaptations from from books in the case of lovecraft country um there have been others i feel that have sort of not gotten off the uh, yeah. his, dark, his dark materials his dark materials oh yeah his dark materials back, seem it? like a total whiff but that wasn't produced by HBO. That was important. No, it was. It was no, no. It was a partnership between BBC and HBO. So Fine. HBO had yeah. a lot to do with making that show. They had some skin in the game, but it wasn't their like baby necessarily. And there's um, they they went ahead and said they're going to do another Game of Thrones. No, they're doing a Game of Thrones play. Oh, they're doing no. What? They're doing a game. They're doing multiple Game of Thrones television. Yeah, shows. but they canceled a bunch of them too. They canceled one, but there's okay. like yeah. eight in development, and one is shooting. It's definitely coming out next year. Okay, House of Dragon or something. Sure. Um, no, David, I think what you're saying is interesting. And for me, pulling back about it, uh, 
while I've been watching the Nevers, I'm thinking a lot about Netflix shows. And Netflix has this whole slate of big budget fantasy series coming up that I've watched a little bit of. And I will not talk in specifics because I would be breaking embargoes. But, like, Netflix cannot nail it. Like, I like The Witcher just fine. But they Netflix shows are bad, like consistently bad. Um, and I think they're all cheap and done like really quickly. It feels like churn. It feels like here's stuff you might like, churn, churn, churn. And I wonder if The Nevers is similar to just like, we got to get shows out the gate here. We got a streaming platform. We just need like things that seem kind of like HBO shows as opposed to fully formed. You know, HBO used to take years to develop a show. Yes. They would yeah, shoot an entire Game of Thrones for. pilot and throw it out the door. And yeah, I think we're that done is sort of that. what we're done uh, with like you're hitting the nail on the head and what I was sort of uh, dancing around, which is this element of quality control. Um, yeah. And I think that obviously is a lot more apparent and on the surface with something like the Nevers, which had all these production woes um, that is maybe different from some of their other shows that haven't really connected right out of the gate. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it feels like you know, it's part of the whole AT&T, Time Warner, everything is just trying to bump up the stock price of a telecom company ethos these days where the guy comes in um, and is just saying we need you know more and more and more content. We need people to be addicted to HBO. And that obviously is a model that has less room for uh, painstaking quality control. But, but uh, say, I mean, like, that said, like, the, flight, the, the flight attendant happens? was not like a deeply on brand HBO show. It was like an HBO Max show. And uh, it was great. And they did a was great job. Could, with but it. wasn't it? I mean, whatever. I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, but those I mean, are the, that's uh, that's the funny thing. Like, that's the HBO Max show. And that feels like it's being made um, post TBS, post TNT. And this kind of like try and prestige these smaller ideas, whereas the HBO shows are yeah. taking a knock in quality because they end up being so big and doing it on like the churn HBO Max scale. The Doesn't flight attendant work. is nothing, is like completely removed from the HBO brand identity. It's why it sort of. was on HBO Max and they showed one episode on a Friday night on HBO to help sort of ease people into it. But it, it I don't know that is, the difference between the two matters as much as you're saying. That it, it certainly is. matters for now. It may matter less over time as the, the barriers dissolve. But for now, it does seem to me there's a clear difference between what's premiering on HBO and what's being shuffled, shuffled, shuffled to HBO Max um and i would be fascinated how many people know the difference they think people who have been watching hbo not even who in our in our line of work but the people who've been watching hbo for 25 30 years um could probably spot the difference in a mile but um Hmm. that again it might change uh there's still a prestige element around hbo's sunday night lineup in particular um and something like uh the um, never-ending story, whatever the fuck it is, with, with Manuel Miranda. What's it what? called? What? What? No, the the history of dark materials. <laughs> yeah, whatever. That that I was feel like you're besmirching multiple names right now when you um, with uh, Falcor and you know <laughs> Falcor and, and the Winter it. Soldier. The Falcor Winter, and the Winter Soldier. Oh my god! Don't don't talk to me about Bucky on the air. It's too messy. But um, the yeah, I mean, like that was a Monday night show for the most part. There are still these little divisions there, but that's why I think if the Nevers was something that was on HBO Max, if the Nevers was a Monday night show, which is where HBO has been playing some of the imported fare they've had recently, which has been interesting. Now they they have in primetime slots. Um, yeah, like a lot of shows people talk about, like It's a Sin. Like that's a show that people talked about. I, I don't know, like this idea is of it? like the no, the like HBO not, like, like pull like, out Town wasn't either, even though it was about hockey, and I was on board for at least one episode. And the uh, Nevers... even even the um, my best friend, what's it called? My my what's my brilliant friend, called? my brilliant friend. Thank you. Um, which was another co production. Was didn't really feel like it was tapped into the zeitgeist in any way. People watch The Undoing. They've still got some power there. I think the problem for The Nevers is that it's scaled up too much, that it's trying to be, you know, it's produced by a Game of Thrones producer and the people who did, like, Daredevil and stuff. Well, Daredevil's cheap as hell and and sucks. But uh, (laughs) I think that The Nevers is actually, the most Whedon-esque thing about it is that it belongs on the WB. Or Whoa. that it belongs on CW, and it's actually too but big for what it should in be. This one, and heads blowing up and shit. But, yeah, uh, no, there are. It, and but I, I wish that it was smaller scale and kind of like more teen, and that I think would be better. Sure, Katie. To go back to your point, though, I, I hope maybe this makes sense. The Undoing was a Sunday night HBO show for five episodes, and then the finale was an HBO Max show. Ooh, like there's there's a clear. I didn't watch any of the, the Undoing. Term. I just know that like it's an HBO show that like my Twitter feed and my mom paid attention to, which means it had some level of cultural it crossover. It seemed big, but then again, as far as we know, as far as HBO is telling us, the Nevers was also huge. 
Uh, I don't trust that momentum in the TV world. There are so many shows, usually not on premium cable, that come storming out of the gates and then cease to exist by the end of their second season. We will see what happens to the Nevers, but I don't think it's been off to the most commanding start. Never say nevers. Never say nevers. Never say nevers. So, never say never. Say never say never. Whatever you do, never say never, my friend. If you believe that your dreams will come true, they'll come true in the end. Keep up your all right, I volunteered to talk about the Oscar-nominated shorts for a mini-segment because we're talking about them on Little Gold Men this week. So if you want to hear me talk more about them... Wait a second. This is a plug? Yeah, it's always a plug. No, this is like always how the, the series premiere of Summer House was actually a backdoor pilot yeah, spinning off it. of an episode of Vanderpump <laughs> Rules. Yeah, I think they call this a backdoor pilot. Uh, so listen to Little Gold Men. We haven't, done that. We haven't recorded that conversation yet, though, so I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so guys, yeah. if we yell at her now, we could change all of our opinions. That's Whoa, right. Well, you powerful. guys haven't seen any of these. It's a temporal pincer movement. Um, they are available to watch online. If you look up Shorts TV, you can find ways to watch them. A lot of them through partnerships with your local indie theaters, which is always a good way to help them. They are a fun thing to go sit and watch in a theater, although they're very long and the do- documentaries in particular are really depressing. Um, <laughs> but I, I really want to, I don't know, I should just tell people to see the ones that really stood out. There's one called Burroughs, an animated one from Disney. Patches, I feel like you watched this on oh. Oh, I absolutely yeah. It's so uh, good. It's about a bunny. It's two D animation from Pixar. It's yeah. absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. It feels bunny like Wind in the Willows or something. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's great. There, I mean, the animated shorts are kind of this crazy hodgepodge of like foreign, like super arty films, like this French one about like an artist and what's going on in her mind. And then there's one that's on Netflix about like school shootings and a family recovering from a school shooting that's, uh, rep- oh, that's produced by Laura Dern. Is that one about bunnies too? Uh, no, it's about shadowy, sad people. Um, oh, the live that's actually- on the Java watch this week and it sent a large conversation about, she's like, man, can you imagine? I just wouldn't send my child to school. I'm like, well, wow. If we're in, if we're living in the world of hypotheticals here and this is our child, of course it's going to fucking school. <laughs> anyway. Uh, wait, Dave, can I ask about that? Because like, I'm always curious who's watching these shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Java, as a, you know, finger quote, civilian person who doesn't work in this industry, going <laughs> yeah. out of her way to see these shorts. These are shorts I have not made any effort to see. Uh, what inspired her or you guys together to do this? Is it something that she always says? I know people who always make a point of going to see the Oscar-nominated shorts in theaters when they play them or watching them online. Yeah, um, uh, she usually will, uh, especially at like film festivals or whatnot, we like picking up like shorts rounds and things like that. That's sort of our jam. Uh, but for the Oscars, she's already printed out her list for predictions and stuff. And it's because nice. she's just filling in all the gaps and she just hit shorts and I guess Googled like Katie suggested. That and one's just, on Netflix, you know, so it's ones. very yeah. uh, it's very accessible. Uh, Netflix is, has a really interesting track record with shorts, where they've had a good number of documentaries. Um, of course, I do not know which of the ones. I, one of them is a love song for Latasha. That's a doc that's really good. Also has some animation involved in it. Um, you know, there's like weird levels of star power in the shorts every year. That's kind of fun to untangle. We can. I mean, all which is the Oscar Isaac one? Uh, that one is called The Letter Room. Uh, I don't know where is that one on Netflix too. I don't know. Uh, I, Have that one's it? fine. It's kind it's of fine. like a bummer. Oh, it's on Prime. Um, it, it has a, a cameo from Alia Shawkat, which was fun, uh, having recently watched All the Search Party, as we'll talk about shortly. Um, the one that I have been kind of bugging Dave about and I want to bug everyone about is this uh, documentary called Do Not Split about the protests in Hong Kong, um, which, you know, we're all relatively familiar with. Although I didn't know that it had, like, started on some level about, like, a, an extradition bill where if you're convicted of a crime or, like, you could go to trial in China, in mainland China, um, if you which are Which no one wants to do. Um, yeah, yeah, if you Google it, you can watch it at Field of Vision right now. Um, just there. You don't have to subscribe to anything. Um, but it's great. It's got, like, the most visceral protest footage imaginable. Like, it starts with these protesters breaking into a bank and lighting it on fire. And then it shows these, like, uh, continued altercations between the police and protesters where they have them, like, barricaded in a university. And, like, the protesters are throwing Molotov cocktails constantly. Um, and, like, the camera is so thoroughly embedded with them. It is really fascinating. Um so that is the one that I feel like everyone should seek out and watch as soon as possible. Watch the shorts. 
But go watch them all. It's a great way to feel like you know something going into the Oscars. Although I will warn Java, every time I watch all the shorts, which I've done for the last couple of years, I feel like it's going to make my predictions better, and it never does. For our final segment of the episode, we're going to talk about a television show that I've been trying to get people to watch for I think months, and then when we finally decided to commit to like scheduling things, you all said, "Fine, I'll watch all of Search Party." And then for the last like week or two, I've all I've been hearing is how great Search Party is. As well, we pushed you it back a week too. It all on your own or something. You all owe me <laughs> some <laughs> more kinder closure. words about Pat, recommending one of Search best Party. friends is the producer of Search Party, and this all feels a little bit <laughs> tit for tat. Well, no, because I mean, here's my here's my story with Search Party. Uh, Search Party premiered way back in 2016 on TBS. Mm-hmm. Um, Always funny, or we bring the comedy, or whatever their tagline is. And um, did not watch it then. Did not watch it then because oh, I did not watch friends. things on. Yeah, you said, yeah no, like, hey, no, no. Skidmore, go to hell. Yeah, I mean, this, is a, this is a great show, and Skidmore put all that blood and sweat and tears into it, and you were just like, "Fuck you!" It's on TBS. That's true. trash. Congratulations to Jack's Media for producing this show. Um, yeah, I could not watch things on TBS. I don't know when they air. It's hard to tell. Um, and I actually had not seen. Fort Tilden, the South by Southwest winning film from Sarah Violet Bliss and Charles Rogers, which kind of landed them this show deal. Um, I had heard like bad things about the movie or that it was extremely I, I, about it millennial was very, hipsters in Brooklyn. It was very polarizing, I believe. Yes, very polarizing. Despite the fact that our good friend Griffin Newman yes, is in it. Yes, friend of the family, uh, Griffin Newman is in it. And I, I only saw it the once uh, before South by that year because I was on the documentary during that year and it really rubbed me the wrong way but watching South uh, watching South Park watching certainly not watching South Park watching Search Party uh, which is so clearly the genesis of a lot of the themes and ideas sure. from Comic Energy they were some of the same actors they were working with Claire McNulty is uh, you know a key part of, of both um, and Griffin is amazing in the one episode or two episodes he gets in Search Justice Party. for Griffin he needs more episodes of Search um, Party but uh, <laughs> I, I think if I went back to Fort Tilden now, I having agree. been indoctrinated into Search Party, I would find a lot more to enjoy that. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So for the show, they teamed up with Michael Showalter, um, and he kind of guided them through, like, how do you make a show? How do you take all these ideas and extend them over a season? Um, and, and season one is really interesting. So I caught up with it later, and then I put it down. And then, like, two years later, watched all the rest of it. Um, and I don't know how it plays if you binge seasons one through four, but for me, season one is like a movie someone made in the 70s. And then season two is like, to use Matt Singer's coined term here, a lega sequel. Um, it feels like something that t- picks up like years later, we finally got to make the sequel, and then suddenly there's three more installments. So Mm. I, I really want to mm. hear from you but guys. But season like, two watching does pick it. up immediately after season yeah. one. I know that's what's so weird. Wise. But the but the so what's fast about Search Party is the first season it stars Aaliyah Shawcat, uh, John Reynolds, who I don't think he was in Fort Tilden. He's just like an indie comedy guy. I don't know where he came from. How did we discover him? Maybe it was Search Party, and he just ended up in other indie stuff. Okay, he's the tall guy. He's really funny. John Early. He ends up being, like, it's the character is so repugnant at the start. And I'm Elisa, who gave up on the show because she found it too painful to watch. She, like, reacts really strongly to privilege. people are, (laughs) to privilege. Um, (laughs) People are, like, embarrassing their misunderstandings, all that sort of thing. Um, oh man, yeah, and this so it wasn't a, a qualitative for judgment for her, but she just like couldn't take it anymore. But um, she hated him so much at the start, and by the time even she bailed, she was like, "He is by far the most interesting character." In the show. Yeah, no, he's really awful in the beginning, but I, I feel like that was like that's like a pilot thing where they're like, "Wait a second, this has to be a real." Well, character. no, I think he it's a, a... It, it's a very deliberate arc i mean i don't think yeah. it was like a bad job of writing or, or acting it's just that he starts yeah. as a really loathsome shell of a i was about to say maybe i should describe really. some of the characters here so leah shawcat plays dory and all of these guys are like nyu grads and and going kind of nowhere in their millennial lives they are the quintessential hipsters as described by anyone who thinks they understand what hipsters are um she is an assistant 
I believe she's assistant to Christine Taylor, who plays yep. like a housewife uh, going through divorce. And um, she's just. I just deep, want to say, not, know, I wouldn't say hipsters. Millennials, absolutely. Hipsters doesn't. Do Brooklyn like millennials, either. and then hipsters is the is the pejorative. I would say. Uh, in season two, I, a, a cop says these fucking hipsters. They did it exactly. Yeah. She's, she's um, right. <laughs> But yeah, so Dory is just like totally wayward, doesn't know what she wants to do with her life, and she discovers that her friend, friend is a loose term, someone she knew knew in college, yeah, Chantal, uh, is missing, and she decides, I'm going to find Chantal, I'm going to become a detective, she obviously watched, what was that Jason Schwartzman HBO show? Bored to death. uh, Bored to death, (laughs) she just watched too much Bored to Death, and thought she could solve uh, a mystery herself, so she recruits her boyfriend at the time, Drew, played by John Reynolds, who we were just describing. Uh, Elliot, played by John Early, who is a gay, hip, like, just totally, I don't know. What, what, how would you describe his personality? Um, like, uh, super narcissist, a big liar. Monster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A horrible human being, but very funny. Um, yeah. And then their fourth friend is uh, Portia, who is this just like, if you went, well, I was about to say if you went to NYU. Now I'm check my privilege here. But <laughs> if you went to a school with an acting department, she was definitely in it. She was just like... Like, the blonde, beautiful girl who has no idea what's going on, but she can star in everything. And so these four people all wrapped up in solving the mystery of what happened to Chantal. And I I don't know. I think we have to talk spoilers about this whole show, guys. Because we're going to talk about all four seasons. So if you have not watched the show, I mean, maybe we could talk very macro about your reactions to the first season. But I definitely want to get to season two, season three, season four. Because as I said, it feels like uh, this kind of distinct sequel in season two, even though it takes place right after. Because the tonal shifts in this show, even though the humor that we were describing, this kind of like self owning uh millennial humor is is consistent it's there all the time they're always making fun of like going to brunch and all that shit and it's actually really observant and hilarious um Uh, but the tone is just constantly evolving and getting more anxious and more weird and it is surprising i i really love every season for different reasons I, I think, uh, first of all, I just want to say all four seasons of it are on HBO Max, uh, not to make this whole episode. In all we talk about podcast. is stuff on, HBO, on Max. HBO Max. I feel like it's on for HBO weeks. Max, for but weeks. Uh, they snatched it away from TBS and now they produce it and episodes can be directly there. Um, but the first season, I think, I mean, I think the show is, is generally brilliant uh, and the comic verb that carries it, you know, the, the dynamic between these four characters and really like all of the characters, the smaller the supporting characters who come in, all have such strong, jewel-sharp uh, energy that they bring to it. I mean, they're all so well-defined. Um, and Griffin, the character that Griffin plays in the first season is a perfect example of that, and not just because he's our friend. I mean, it's... We've uh, talked about him way out of proportion to how much of Search Party he is. I think he's in, in. Well, one no, I mean, episode. I'm saying he's that, in like, two. He's, he's two or three typical episodes. of so many of the great characters in the show who sort of uh, do hit and runs, but leave such an impression. Yeah, like um, Jay Smith Cameron has a role like that where she's in like two or three episodes. A great There's arc Ant- in the third season. And Dowd shows up in season four. It just the goes on season. and on. But the first season is, is very much, as Patches was, was describing, about the sort of millennial search for purpose and like to try to feel like your life is above the humdrum and you infuse it with meaning. You have to glom it from mm. other people and you don't, you feel Dory really contriving this relationship, this connection between she and this girl who she builds up in her head as being a sort of mysterious figure. And they share some sort of elusive connection and she's going to upend her you know, dead end life to, to go and find her and, and sort of uh, ride the sidecar of, of, this being special and the purpose that comes with it and that all sort of blows up in her face and it does kind of feel to me in a way that has not even come close to putting me off the show that the three seasons after that are sort of kicking around the same ideas without that same sort of core impetus i mean like the first season is so is so dense with with meaning and this this capturing this entire sort of kind of person in time that we all recognize and to a certain degree are um, and that that whole sense of just like wanting to stand out from from the muck and have an identity in this world where everything kind of feels flattened out. Um, it's such a particular portrait, which the creators of the show, even in something we foretold, are so good at doing. And then as they sort of built it out into noir and these thriller elements, and and then finally in the fourth season where Dory is uh, in a 
um, kidnapping situation for most of the okay, season. Okay, this is where the spoilers start. Before we get fully into it, I want to say I actually believe the exact opposite of what David just said. I think the first mm-hmm. season is actually hampered by the, going for a lot of easy jokes and building to the finale, which turns everything on its head, but it's a punchline to the to the first season, which I think works fine, but I love how it embraces the characters and the wackiness uh, of go- of just how situations can escalate going out. For me, season one's too small, and I was thinking about maybe uh, just like begging out and saying, "Guys, I don't like want to sit and watch like a weird hipster comedy with the uh, you know a Ron Livingston I don't like. Like, why do you want to make me hate Ron Livingston? I don't li- I don't dig mm. it anyway. But um, I definitely think it, it grows out. But we could interrogate that more with specifics. If we're now going to transition, yeah, well, fully well, Katie, what did you think of of season one? Trying to like get because oh I think God. that season one must face for a lot of people the same problems that Fort Tilden did, the same polarizing experience because it is like super hipster, hum- like hipster skewing humor, um, millennial stuff, and they are super privileged. They're kind of hard to watch. If yeah, you but don't it, it, it feels so stuff. aware of that throughout the whole thing, and I think it sure. helps like having like characters like John Early's, which is who is like so big and like he's very. Very early so on, like found out as being this massive liar, and like it, it's it seems to be witnessing the extent of their bad decisions. And I think the key to all of that is that you have Alia Shawkat's story, who like is the audience surrogate, and she's just trying to find things out. And you got like she's supposed to be the one who's like sympathetic and is lost, and then she just makes these like series of terrible decisions that really just amp up as the series goes on. And like it, it, for me, you know, it sucks you in feeling for her and then kind of takes you on this terrible journey from there. Um, I mean, also, I'm like watching it and being like, wow, in 2016, I lived in Brooklyn and like I like <laughs> worn these clothes. Like, Salt obviously, the there's like mystery. a level of connection there. Well, yeah, but it also like was very like, oh, God, they're so bored. They have nothing to do with their lives. Like, I'm glad I'm not in my 20s anymore. Wait, were we chatting um, about how Dave would do this? And this is why Dave doesn't like the show, because he would have tried to solve a mystery. Oh, no, I'm, I'm yeah. definitely yeah. the Dory, but Brooklyn. not because yeah. of okay. her wanting to solve a mystery. Like, fuck because that. Of, I'm definitely the Dory for is, the rest of the series. Dave <laughs> is self-aware in a way that Dory isn't, especially at first. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that would have added an element to it. But the show is is obviously always self-aware. And I think, you know, it's so... Even when I sort of lost the plot in terms of what, if anything, in air quotes, it was trying to say, it remains so caustically funny. Yeah. Uh, and in exciting new ways and with every new character they introduced to it. Um that it it doesn't really it never really bothered me, but uh, I also thought the first episode, the first season, where it felt like they were really trying to do one particular thing and not just spinning this yarn wherever it went was also hilarious. Um, but like every I, character they introduce into this mosaic of weirdos is hilarious. Like, I don't think yeah, like, I don't there think isn't it's, an episode that misses. I don't think it's bad. It just wasn't my shit, and I was like, why is everybody calling the show brilliant? It's like a fine show about people in New York. And maybe yeah. this is also like, you know, I grew up like with somebody being like, oh, like these guys are doing high maintenance. Why don't we try to do like a high maintenance? So like sure. the whole idea of like, let's run around New York and look at these stereotypes of people and spin it into some sort of thing. I It wasn't as impressive until I realized sort of the full thing of it. If the joke is in your early 20s, you don't know what you're doing. And so you latch on to something and you make it over important. I got that joke at the end of the first episode and yeah. I feel like it kind of like stretches it and stretches it. And it's not until the ending of the first season, you know, kind of took me by pleasant surprise uh, for how many reversals it has in a quick series of events that also feel like they click in. And I think the, the fourth season also has a flashback in its, last episode that does a similar thing that sort of like helps me recontextualize things the way like the, the fourth season knots back on its own by retelling its own story with as in, with a movie within the show is is so funny but it's also like <laughs> this feels like the definitive telling of the story of someone who like goes on social media and tries to you know make a name for themselves mm. by any means necessary by flaming everything in sight and then finds themselves caught up in bigger and bigger fire 
And, hmm. uh, you know, Dory is going about it in a more benevolent way, but still the collateral damage benevolent is first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, initially, yeah. before she really starts to own her own. Uh, Katie, before we get too far into spoilers, did I jump in on season one here. Or did yeah, know? I mean, I was just going to, like, what Dave was alluding to is just, like, at the, I think it's at the end of season one where they cover up a murder. Like, that is the thing where it really pivots, and I think the brilliance starts to come in, because I think about, like, I can't remember if this is season one or the beginning of season two, where they're, like, hanging out with, like, that French-Canadian guy, Michu, and he, like, can't figure out their party game and like they're all like dying inside because they know there's a corpse in the kitchen and like the way that it balances that level of humor with like something that everyone has experienced with this like incredibly heightened horrible behavior and how that like season two I think might be the best one for the way that it like has all of that while also this like you know walls closing in paranoia going on like and like there's you know characters who I like less and like I feel like the neighbor um what's her name uh Oh, God, the neighbor who at the, gets killed at the end of season two, who has the twin sister, who is a real twin, Spoilers. by the way. You know that there's two different actresses uh, who are twins, which is great. Um, oh, nice. I got that, that character was kind of weak. The Julian character, like the guy who's like in it and then not in it for a while. Like, so like that one doesn't really go anywhere. Oh, her old boy, her ex-boyfriend. Yeah, like he's like the voice of reason. I, and, like, I think yeah, they realized they didn't really like him. The, like the guy who's just like not willing to put up with any of this yeah, and like, still... They, I find the the story they, the storyline that they fashioned for him with he writes uh, a piece for New York magazine Jerry Ryan not Jerry Ryan with uh, J Smith Cameron J Smith Cameron Jerry Ryan you're thinking of Jerry seven of nine Jerry Ryan I'm thinking of Jerry Ryan of Star Trek <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, um, yeah, yeah the J Smith that, like, Cameron Cameron stuff is funny for him and it's also it, it leads to this sort of bubbling point at the end of that season where you have a different strand of immorality that Dory is forced to contend with and like how the fallout from that is so different to what she's dealing with and I think like something that the show is wrestling with throughout all of its four seasons are the virtues that we assign to certain things in this day and age and like the way that people come together and, and sanctify Chantel uh, when she disappears in the first season right. and everything that's being... bullshit that you can get sucked into these yeah. and Chantal I mean into. She is oh. an incredible character. That character is like, so well, funny. Hold, no, and the way on. that they work with her throughout, <laughs> like the way that like she continues to grow, there's a whole season four episode about Chantal that's really funny. Uh, well, okay, we're talking Chantal. Let's, let's we, make sure whatever. that people know. That, no, but, but for the people who haven't seen a single second of this, I want to make sure like we're going to just open this up and people talk about all tra- four seasons. Yeah, we already said that. We didn't say that. We the, the way that... Wallace Shawn introduces himself to, Sean, to Chantal <laughs> is the single most Simpsons joke I have ever seen in live action in my life. Wait, what does he do? Capacity. I don't remember. She's talking about like wanting to, I can't remember the exact line, but she's talking about wanting to make money and like go into business and something. And he's just standing next to her and he's like, he overhears exactly what she's saying and like parrots it right back to her. And it's just like it's <laughs> incredibly, it, it feels like it's lifted word for word from a Simpsons episode from like 1993. Um, uh, so, so to be clear for people who are either getting spoiled, spo- getting spoiled, uh, getting spoiled, or, or or entering this and and just following along, so we're season one they commit a murder, mm-hmm. season two they struggle to keep that murder, they 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 go they get back to New York and then they are dealing with the the weird punk neighbor who has found out because they scream too much about committing the murder (laughs) i guess and then i'm surprised it's your favorite season uh katie because that one is the one that might be like almost a little contrived or by the end of it i was was struggling to just like there must be a way out of this or stop it's very stressful it's the show is so stressful and then season three might be the most stressful thing i've ever seen in my entire life oh season three is so good season three is the one where i had to pick up my phone and get out twitter and be like Aaliyah shawkat is doing something in this show that is absolutely on par with the corporate de niro i mean i think Aaliyah shawkat in the show is like absolutely robert de niro taxi driver level nuanced and complex and interesting and watchable like she is incredible in the show so yeah she agrees the trial and then season four is she actually Mm. talks her way out of getting incriminated and then she immediately gets kidnapped and it's room uh but the search party version of room i i really like uh elia shawkat i think as the show went on i found myself getting less interested in dory and more interested in the people who were in her orbit i mean whenever they would cut away to what john early was doing uh on his like fake fox news show oh my god and like all of that i was more entertained and i loved how they got twisted with the storytelling and 
in ways that you wouldn't necessarily think a show like this would have to with the things that are dropping out of windows and even characters in the head and they're revisiting that episodes yeah. later. And then and it's fake all... Oprah picks it up. I love how yeah. big the fourth season is. It's just yes. sort of like, we're going to well, do kidnapping, so mind contained. control. Well, I mean, contained a fake in terms fantasy of like, theme park. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's any more contained than season three, which is just like courtrooms, their apartment, some cars even. And Although cars season three not- has an interesting parallel story with Jay Duplass being like semi-cult leader theater uh, guy who sucks yeah, he's season Portia. two, right? I thought yeah, that was because he, yeah, no, because he like gives them away to the oh, cops. Basically, oh, you're right, you're right. Wow, season yeah, no, two Jay, is dense. Jay Duplass is great. Yeah, he season is two has a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, season two is mostly about repositioning the characters, about where they have to like, like go onward. Like at the end of season one, Portia still doesn't know about the murder. Yeah. So it's like they have to reset in the pilot really quickly, and then plant everybody on their season storylines. And Portia's is the acting one, where it seems like she's going to get out of it, and then. Yeah, Jeez. season two is kind of when Search Party figures out what it's about, to David's point, which is like, season I one felt like... a disagree a... more. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. not, I have no beef against the, the seasons two through four. I thought they were all wonderful, but this is a show that felt fully formed out of the embryo for me. I mean, it's just like, this mm. is... This, from the moment it starts, it knows exactly what it wants to be about and is then trying to, much like its late mean character, search for continued meaning and justification for continuing to, to be the moral center of the universe as it goes forward. But uh, I think it's very off track to say that this is not a show that knows what it wants to be about right out of the gate. Um, and my only, my only beef. Maybe, with the maybe I'm, season, maybe I'm thinking more of of its confidence in knowing that because I think the first sure. season, I feel like I've seen the obsessed detective before that trope, and now we're just like adapting it for the millennial wannabe. Um, but by season two, you have someone who is actually driven to, to lie and mold her life and, and then challenge herself by like getting her in deep shit and getting herself out of it. She's, she has a, a, a lust for being in trouble and feeling superior to everyone by solving these mysteries or solving these problems. Season right. two complicates her in such a, a, a deep way um, that I hadn't really seen anything like that because I didn't actually expect to get a season two for some reason. I didn't know that the <laughs> well, show could go on. Sure. I mean, you should have just asked your friend who produces it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You okay. would have told you. But yeah, the, uh, the season four is interesting because, you know, to your point, it gives her a, an exit door of a way uh, out of this cycle that she's in by just putting her in this underground bunker um, and uh, you know making it as if she doesn't exist and her biggest fan can sort of look over her. Um, the whole introduction of Cole's Cole's character in the third season of The Wedding and everything Cole's is brilliant. Um, but though I will say, <laughs> and this is not a show that needs to live up to the, uh, you know, pass the scrutiny test at all, at all times. Um, but you spend an entire season in an underground bunker. And I know eventually she's, it gets complicated as to whether or not she even wants to leave. But, you know, going back to the old boy of it all, like th- that is one situation where it does seem like um, if I were to put my shoes myself in, in her shoes, uh, I, as one of the least capable people I know, could have escaped from that particular uh, really that particular dungeon. I think so. That bo- that bothered me the entire time. I was like, Dory, if you really want to get out, and maybe she doesn't. That's so funny. I thought the opposite. I'm like, really? There's no way out. She doesn't know the code to the door, and how would she ever get out? It really felt sad. I mean, for one thing, if we really want to get into the nitty gritty, the <laughs> code of the door, which she hears every time, makes a very particular musical pattern that would be easy to replicate. Um, but, but you don't know how you hear it with the padded doors in her chamber. This is a stupid no, I mean, hears, the, Katie and David weigh whatever. in here more. At the end of the fourth <laughs> me, season, someone the kidnapped me, put me in an underground cell, I, be Colascola. I, I endorse this. You should. Like, I know. I mean, I'm hey, sure all of our listeners also. Hey, if you go this. to Emerson College and you're on Letterboxd, <laughs> start building this chamber now. <laughs> David will come over. Yeah, Give him just, a pile of DVDs, and I mean, David will probably be fine. Put him in the search party chamber. Um, I. <laughs> Season four was probably my least favorite of the bunch because of the bunker. Not that I do not, not that there was not good things going on in there. I do think Cola Scola is doing really interesting stuff as the Twink. Uh, and Dowd shows up for an episode. You cannot underestimate that. Susan Sarandon shows up near the end, which is incredible. But there wasn't a lot of there's not a lot of humor in the bunker, and it's a lot of Alia Shawkat like really going for it every single episode. And I found it kind of tedious after a while. Like I was mm. tired of being with Dory as she hates herself, as she tries to escape herself. Like yeah. it gets to an interesting place, but I got pretty worn out being I can imagine there. binging this show and not having a lot of, of 
energy left to get through season four. Yeah. And like there's interesting like all the like um, Elliot on Fox News stuff is really funny. Like there's interesting stuff going on there. Like I really love Drew and the, his like girlfriend who he doesn't want to be with who, who works a, probably who never takes off her princess dress into the sewer. <laughs> it's like there's, yeah there's all this good stuff in there and I I thought the the humor balance got a little bit off with all the bunker stuff. Hmm. Even mm, though I love their outfits as they go and get ice cream. What what do you what do you think was the high of the of the four seasons for you? Like where is this show really hitting its stride for you? Katie? Mm-hmm. I mean the courtroom stuff like you got what Louis Anderson, and then um, I can't remember the name of the actress who plays Dory's yes. lawyer. Who's who like plays this, her like, lawyer? She oh, is she's so, so good. funny. Like and like the judge who's eating a bunch of snacks for no reason is funny. Like, ev- I like that every like every psych. I mean, it's just you know, it, 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 I mean, it was always back, but he just said it right at the beginning of the trial. Yeah, and, well, he got more and condition. more. He was had more and more snacks every time they showed him. Like the the Tupperware is extended across the entire bench. Um, I just feel like everything going on in that trial is perfect. Uh, I am Googling uh, futilely at the moment. Shalita Grant is the Thank lawyer. You. She is, she is so good. Yeah. Uh, she is so good. That is the one thing the show has in common with the undoing, which is that the actress who comes in to play the lawyer in the big courtroom scenes steals the entire thing. Yeah. Um, that is even in a bad show like the undoing, it is a great opportunity to shine. Oh, Michaela Watkins is the DA too. Is really funny and how pissed off she is that they're getting away with it. <laughs> I yes. just love, yeah, Shalita, uh, Grant comes in and you completely underestimate her and then she's actually great at like the PR bullshit of of the trial and she's fast talking and has lots of ideas um, but she's it's her first, it's her first and it's trial. her first trial and, and, and Aaliyah <laughs> Shaw and Dory completely underestimates her and thinks she's superior um, and there's probably some like weird racial shit going on there to unpack but like it's really it's quite funny and then Louie Anderson shows up as Drew Gardner's uh, lawyer, and I, I, he falls asleep like in the first ten minutes. So he's on screen. I'm just like, this is amazing. And he's like, I probably won't be alive by this time next what year. What the I'm sorry, I'm late. I was in another apartment talking to another Dorian Drew. I hope I didn't say anything that would incriminate us. Anyway, the show is perfectly cast. Showalter yeah. shows up in the show. Showalter's really funny in that one, in that couple episodes. And like when when Drew becomes Dory, I guess like he goes crazy, right? He yeah. has his whole plot about trying to get himself shipped off to China and <laughs> and and destroy someone's life in the process. And no, that I like that. I, I like hilarious. this because I like this for like the same reason that I you know try to defend vaguely liking Seinfeld. It's like you walk in. You hate all these characters. You walk out. You, there's not like they're good people, but you like all the characters. Yeah. Like the process is set up to make you like investigate and find it. And so that's why I don't know necessarily. I think, I think like, you how- like them because there's something about the show. And I haven't had this experience too often, which is like, I feel like, uh, and I don't think it's an age thing necessarily, but like it really immersed me. It really made me think like, what the fuck would I do if I accidentally killed someone or if i was like in hot water like this i'd probably mm-hmm. just go to the police and beg for mercy um but like every every problem they get themselves into feels very realistic in terms of just them trying to talk their way out of it i i it really boils the blood like i don't know i'm so terrified every second of this show I, it's really anxiety inducing yeah in a good way uh, I yeah i it. think i think drew is relatable in some ways i th- think that uh, that is when he crosses the Rubicon, when he starts destroying his coworker's life in a really hilariously contrived way. <laughs> but that is also it, it, it's it relies, so fun to watch. It relies entirely on his boss and his coworker never speaking to each other. It's the <laughs> only way his plot's going to work. It's such a harebrained scheme, and he gets so close <laughs> to pulling it off. It's hilarious, but alas... Um, uh, we were talking I about season four and you cut me off from talking too much about Chantal, but I just want to shout out the people who oh, play yeah. Chantal's family where you see them in season one and they live in this like incredible like mansion out in Westchester somewhere and they're this like classic Waspy family. And then they, I think they're in Chappaqua. Oh, excuse me. They most uh, definitely are tri- in Chappaqua. And he's in Tri-State. Uh, they, that's true. They do say the word Chappaqua really funny. And then in season four, they have lost everything because they had to pay for Chantal's bills to get out of and jail. And Connor Ratliff for, is for, microdosing. 
Con- yeah. Connor Ratliff oh, yeah. is every, so funny as every, the, her brother-in-law. And like whoever plays her sister is really funny. Whoever plays her mom is really funny. Like that whole, the, the evolution of that family. And again, like Chantal feels like such like a limited character when they introduce her. It's just this like spoil. It's, you know, and she reveals at the end of season one that she's basically disappeared for no reason. Uh, and the way, you know, you watch her like trying to be a business founder and then her whole Ponzi, like, um, or not Ponzi scheme, whatever she goes to jail for. Um, it's just really impressive how that evolves. And, like, maybe she's going to become Oprah's new muse. Like, they leave that as a cliffhanger. Let's see what happens in season five. I mean, I like it because in terms of what the series was saying from, like, the beginning, where it's like, you know, you're in your early 20s and you don't know what to do. Like, they all reacted badly. But strangely, Chantel just kept falling upwards because she's a white woman and that's what happens. Yeah, she's, like, so stupid that she cannot not succeed. (laughs) Let there be a lesson. They really should have brought Griffin back because... Griffin's character, in hindsight, I don't know how Griffin's character and that character were actually supposed to be dating. <laughs> a like flashback a- episode of them just spending an evening together would be would be hilarious, even Wait, if it didn't advance the plot in any was way. Was the flashback you were talking about, David, the like where you learned what the book that killed Charlie Rini? Like, was that what you uh, That was not me. No, 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 no. It was me. I was uh, the flashback that she could have gotten out of the trunk at the. Oh, right. On the yeah. way up. And yes. Walk back in. Yeah. Where she's right, like, yeah, I. Which- I'm not sure. I feel like I should have known that sooner, but it feels like it also recontextualizes a lot of the series. Well, it dovetails with my, you know, criticism, which is somewhat nullified of like her it being a situation that she could escape from, and she's just really unsure what it, whether or not that's what she wants. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that that it is. I think really what I'm getting to is that it does sort of feel like you're spending a little too much time when you are binging it, as I did, um, in that basement, and Anne Dowd showing up is a really fun wrinkle, especially in how it plays out. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it, it is even, even if the show's Nadir, if it even has one, even when it kind of feels like it's stalling out, it's just so funny. And there's so many fun personalities so funny. that are swimming in and out of it that it never really flags. And when- uh, I can't imagine where a fifth season is going to go, but I'm sure they can. Like, I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't imagine where any season would go after the end of any season. So yeah. um, I'm excited for what possibly they could do, but I hope when, John uh, really gets to have another wedding or something. Cause I just had, also- had to shout out that when Susan Sarandon shows up uh, behind Cola Scola and they're dressed in the same clothes in the gas station and like, they're like, like sneaking exactly around each other. The and then the like roundabout chase, like the, all of uh, that stuff, like it just arrived at the right tone for the best character chase since at the French end. connection. If you need to clarify your tone funny. after your uh, torture season, <laughs> bring in Susan Sarandon in a wig coat to to burn down a house. I also love in season teens. four when they go to the um, when they go to the the is it a cookie factory? What kind of factory in New oh, Jersey? Oh, uh, it's Did like they a oh my God. Like oatmeal cookie or something. <laughs> and Griffin Dunn is the is the dad, and I just it's so weird. It's all it's just so, so weird. Weird, and then it's like in everyone is four, up to uh, some shit. Like yeah. everyone, no yeah, one is yeah. clean. When does R.L. Uh, Stein show up? That's the R. most R. millennial thing the that happens episode in four seasons. Oh, as, like, yeah. In like the acid trip where yeah. uh, he's like at the uh, table with all these fictional so authors. It's a rare, real funny acid trip sequence. <laughs> yeah. um, but that the roundabout chase sequence is the kind of physical comedy, the kind of like stunt maybe I mean, i'm sure that's the technical word for what you call it but it maybe exaggerates the scale of what's happening but like the the kinetic comedy that we don't really get anymore that used to be the heart and soul of of like buddy cop movies and things like that um before cgi you know took everything to the point where the rock is jumping through buildings and cars and uh it's just so funny um, it's, yeah it's it's perfect where uh to, to wrap up where where would season five go in a perfect world can you conjecture well i'm sitting here thinking about like who are the like who are the new yorky comedians who had like when's john hodgman gonna be on search party like that feels like it should have happened by now (laughs) that yeah that does seem who was in brooklyn who could just just end up on search party yeah yeah well i was gonna say get fighting in the war room on there but uh only only one of us still actually lives in brooklyn oh wait no get bo and yang on there like like you had chloe fine like get some snl people bo and yang hosts the uh 
Search Party official podcast. That's does he true. Really? Um, I noticed so, that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> which you can watch on HBO Max as well. For I did reason. not know there was well, a Search Party podcast. podcast. I don't know. You can listen to it or watch it on HBO Max. I see it as an option. After that does not mean episode. Bo and Yang can't be on Search Party. It that absolutely my does not mean that. I think the opposite. It, it makes it all the more likely that they, you know, he obviously knows everybody involved in the show and they could slot him in there. Just imagine but, him uh, and, and John Early as like enemies competing over something. But and, Bo and Yang, like completely, his brand of comic genius so perfectly dovetails with what they're doing on this show. It's like he could play anything on this show, and yeah. maybe he should. Guess, maybe he should just do like a Anomalisa, a Tom Noonan <laughs> approach, and he should play every character. I'm, that'd be if, wonderful. If I was gonna blow it out uh, as far as I possibly could, because I think this series should embrace its wacky heart. Um, we pick up and Dory's, Dory's become a cult leader. Ooh. Wow. Which is actually something that happened. Like, the cult stuff happens in season one and doesn't. With Parker it's a red Posey hair and uh, Tunde Adabimpe. I totally forgot about on the that. radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff Whoa, is great. Oh, I did not recognize him. Holy shit. So every time he showed. I mean, he acts from time to time. He was in Rachel Getting Married, of course. And he was at. Uh, he was in. Wasn't the that Kristen Wiig drug movie where they have a He's baby. in the Kristen Wiig drug movie. Every time he pops up in something, not only does it immediately take me back to a time when. I was living in my my heyday in Manhattan and my pre. Wow. I mean, Dory is sort of our age, but like um, no, they're younger than us. I think they flash back to their NYU. Smidge. Yeah, they're just like five years. They're, they're like my age. But rub it in. But you're only as old as your oldest child. You're older than I am. But um, it, every time I see him in anything, it makes me so happy. I just love his presence. Also, yeah, this show had great. a higher ratio of real people I know it, than any other show I've ever watched, just for having lived in New York long enough and known comedians. So I was very gratifying just to be Move like, to yeah. New York, and you might know the cast of. You might know you some might know the cast of single scene. Whatever your search party is. LA, and you might know the cast of every other show. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but they um, won't be as good as Search Party. Sure, sure, maybe. Sure. The, Maybe the question about season five is really just about Dory and you feeling exhausted, Katie, about the Dory character. Like, yeah, this I'm show really is going to sure. be about Dory no matter I what. Know. And I wonder what. Although, is if left any for show Dory could get away complete. with like throwing Dory under a truck and pivoting to someone wow. else and like going into just the mo- the making of the Dory story, I mean, they've already sort of gotten down that storyline. But in theory, um, I feel like this show has the the sort of daringness to get away with something like that. Although yeah. I agree. I agree in essence that the show does have to be about Dory. Um, it, it also, if any show could pull it off, I think it's. it's yeah, dope. I think I'm, I'm done with her struggling with her identity and just being able for her to either come back and be like, I'm going to reckon and leave behind the past, or like, I'm embracing my supervillain status. And I would imagine the latter will happen, and I, I'm fine with that. I just need like her like wrestling with her demons, I feel like is done. Do you I think this like- is headed on in like a breaking bat? type path yeah yeah, if, oh, there's yeah. A, if there's a happy ending to this show it's that the other three get out because that's the yeah. fake out happy ending that we got and we're like oh hey you know yeah that's i mean i works. think a, a possible ending for the show is that dory just like this whole chapter of her life becomes a closed loop and she uh moves somewhere else where n- this none of this is relevant to anyone who lives there right she I has to come to the burbs like the, she has to go to Maple. Yeah. right mm-hmm. just to you know grow up into her mid-30s like the rest of us but welcome um it made me think of dave this feels like a character you would be familiar with. You remember the hipster grifter? Oh my god! Uh, Who no. doesn't remember? You don't remember? Sorry, this? sorry, to underestimate. There's a Katie whole and how uh, much gawker you read. Oh, you a lot of gawker. There's a whole high maintenance episode about her, basically. Oh, oh, oh the gawker right? hipster grifter. Yes. <laughs> I used to see her at Kim's video. Was, all the time. I was like googling TV show hipster grifter, and it was. Not you used to remember. see her at Kim's. Oh yeah, I used. To, she had a very memorable like tattoo across her entire upper body. That whenever you know the, she wasn't wearing a jacket, you could see from three blocks away, and uh, she was very hard to spot at Kim's. I mean, she must have lived around there in, in the same neighborhood. Um, but and now I think like, where is she now? And maybe I could Google that and find out. I doesn't seem worth doing, but um, it feels like she and Dory might have similar fates. Mm. Where I would imagine whatever she's doing now, um, it feels like it's another lifetime away from all the hipster grifter business. Um, that would also be I, another cool thing to do is just jump forward like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, they could do that. I just Googled to remember that the hipster grifter on High Maintenance is Greta Lee, who was uh, in um, Russian Doll, the sweet birthday oh, baby yeah. friend. Yeah. Um, no, uh, move Dory and Drew to Maplewood for season five. I love this idea. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 10 Come years later in Maplewood. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I think Dory and Drew should... should 
wake up in season five in an old episode of uh, I Love Lucy mm-hmm. or the Dick Van Dyke show. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the next episode, they're in Bewitched. Mm-hmm. And then in the next episode, uh, who the fuck cares? I just abandoned that. And, uh, and, uh, and Chip it, comes back to punching. be the person in charge <laughs> yeah. of the bubble. Yeah. And no, then the, the, the Nevers. And then uh, I, we never did get to see the Nevers episode of WandaVision, which I think is a real shame. Oh, Jesus. This is, uh, we've come to the end of this segment. <laughs> All of Search Party is on HBO Max. It's the only streaming service we cover on this podcast for some reason, uh, but we highly recommend it. That does it for this week's show. Next week, we're talking about The Father, which is available to rent for a premium. It is uh, $20 on Amazon Prime, as I say this. It may become less expensive. Uh, it's also, you can get it th- uh, you know, through digital platforms, through your local theaters. It's had a theatrical run. If you've been vaccinated twice, go see it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. It's too early for me to announce big podcast news, but I have big podcast news coming this week. Wow. Wow. So follow my feed for a brand new podcast announcement. Can't talk about it yet because I haven't announced it by the time this comes out, but by like Thursday, there might be news. So how hold the podcast for Thursday just to make you look dumb, Patches? Oh, shit. Oh, no. Well,. No, 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 anyway, no. Go ahead. I there's understand. a new podcast coming, and we'll talk more about it probably next week. Or I will when I self-promote shamelessly. But uh, other than that, fightingintheworm.com, too. Can't go wrong there. Uh, is your podcast, and just wink if this is correct, so this is an audio medium, no one's going to see it. Is your new podcast about the television show Shameless, which recently went off the air, and you're going to do an episode Shameless episode Minute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> minute by minute through an 8,000-season no, show. Nothing what feels is more... Shameless about? It's about it's, a dad. He drinks a lot. I know that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he has like 18 children. Mm-hmm. Sure. Shamelessly so, if you... Mm-hmm. Shamelessly. Uh, what is it? Is it based All on like All I know British about Shameless, television? other than the fact that Emmy Rossum was on it is in, and then left, is that they do... When they do the previously on at the start of the episodes, sometimes catch on channel surfing, they do them in character with like, it's like new footage of the characters talking about what happened in previous episodes. And it seems oh, to be no. in touch. I don't know. Uh, whatever. Uh, shameless. Uh, you can listen to all about it on Polygon. Uh, there's nothing more on brand for Polygon than Matt Patrick's. Shameless Pod. Yeah. Shameless Podcast. Um, every plug, a shameless plug. Uh, I, I'm David. You can find me on. Uh, Andy Wire on Twitter sometimes making Lady Bird memes because we're living like a 2017 all over again, baby. Are you still doing uh, that? I like that uh, Lady Bird meme. Brought it back today. I and liked it. Was, it. <laughs> thank you, Katie. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, more importantly, you can find all of us together. Me, you, Dave Seven, Katie, Bo and Yang, Matt Patches, uh, fucking what's his face? The guy who uh, is the what's his name? I'm so bad with names today. Your what are we talking about? What are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? You can find William H Macy. You can find Emmy Rossum all on iTunes and Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. Read on the air. It's great fun. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at da7e or on the Storm a loss. Rewatch podcast where we rewatch the ABC series Lost. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vandy Fair on the Little Goldman podcast, where, as promised, we'll be talking about the Oscar nominated shorts this week. You can find me on Twitter at uh, K A T E Y R A C H, and we're all on Twitter at F I T W R, uh, where you can make your pitches for who should be in season five of Search Party, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was In honor of nobody, what's an on screen punch that looks like it hurt the most? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Bum, ba, dun, dun, pun, dun, a pom, pun, dun, the gung, ba, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum, bum, now I'm done, I'm done, we're done.